I think the biggest one for me, the change that I've made is rather than thinking about um, fueling on that day, I'm thinking about it the day before. So I think there's a lot of forward planning, not just planning for what I'm going to eat tomorrow around training, but eating the day before to fuel for the next day's training, I think has, has been massive. And I think that's where I've let myself down in the past. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm your host, Steph Gaskell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan? Oh, not too bad. Thanks, Steph. Uh, Just working away. Got a a big job at the moment, um, overhauling the um, sports nutrition course. So basically the online course, well, will be online now with COVID, the course that uh, sports dietitians do in Australia when they first enter the profession. So, uh, yeah, I've got a contract at the moment to rebuild that entire course into an online format. So it's been a lot of uh, long days and even longer nights getting that done with uh, kids running around that have been at home. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's getting towards the business end of that. So it's, it's kind of crunch time, but it'll be good when it's finished. Yeah. Oh, that um, I think we'll all benefit from from that. So thank you very much for for those late nights. Well worth. <laughs> Looking forward to some <laughs> sleep at the end of it. <laughs> um, all right. So um, for today's episode, uh, which we've um, it's now part B um, of episode two. Um, what we'll do is we're going to get an athlete's perspective. Um, from the conversation that we had with Sam Impe, uh, which was all about um, periodized training. Uh, and the question we asked there, Alan, was what was the question? What should I eat for my long training session? What should I eat for my long training session? So we thought none better um, than Emma Jeffcott, uh, who is a, a triathlete that you've been working with um, and, you know, you've been actually doing a lot with her in, in terms of periodizing her nutrition. Um, and what we really want to get out of these part B sessions of the podcast is um, give some practical take-home messages for the athletes. Um, and, and we think that they'll be able to relate really well to this. So uh, did you want to introduce uh, Emma? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as you said, Emma is an elite triathlete here in Australia. Um, So she is, you know, training at the moment towards uh, Tokyo next year, uh, whether it's the the female Olympic distance triathlon or it's part of the mixed team relay. Um, So that's obviously her goal and and that's obviously been put on hold this year with with COVID and everything. So it was a big build-up that sort of came to nothing in a a sense. Um, But, yeah, no, Emma's um, changed coaches about 18 months ago to coach Danielle that I work with uh, here in Melbourne and um, we spent a bit of time with her working around looking at how she feels for training and how that varies from session to session, which is exactly the sort of thing we were we were talking about with Sam. So, um, yeah, no, I think she'll be able to give us a really great insight into what that looks like from from an athlete's perspective, um, as opposed to us academics and practitioners that can tell people what to do or, or sort of have that knowledge. But you know, she's the one who actually has to to live and breathe that day in day out. So it'll be great to hear her perspective. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. All right, should we get stuck into it then? Let's do it. Cool. All right. Welcome to the Long Munch, Emma Jeffcoat. How are you? 
Thank you. It's nice to be here virtually. We're getting slowly used to that virtual world, but um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Not a problem, and you're nice and laid back there. Obviously, listeners won't be able to see it, but you've you got the hammock going. <laughs> yep. I um, built myself. That was my isolation COVID project. I um, finished uni, well, God, 18 months ago now, but um, turned my desk space into a uh, hammock and kind of like a little sunspot in my bedroom. So, yeah. Has it made you more productive or less productive? Um, less. <laughs> and the funny thing is everyone was at, all athletes at home building home gyms and I built a hammock and a, a little nap spot. <laughs> you can call it, call it your recovery hub. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, on that topic of, uh, you know, 2020 and, uh, little projects and things like that, tell us about your 2020. What's, what's been good about it? What's been rubbish about it? It's obviously been a, a topsy turvy year and obviously no Tokyo this year, but, um, yeah, what's it been instead for you? Yeah, 2020 has been quite a few curveballs there, but um, I kicked off the year with a new coach and uh, Danielle Stefano, um, so moved down to Melbourne. Uh, I was previously based in Sydney, so made the move down there and, um, yeah, had a really solid block of training over um, the summer and got to race once. So we raced at the Malulaba World Cup uh in i think it was the first weekend of march um just as things were really kicking off so i was yeah stoked i had a really good performance up at, up on the sunshine coast and um yeah it was exciting to know things were heading in the right direction before they suddenly weren't heading anywhere and um yeah i think it was probably maybe only 10 days after that race i flew back to melbourne to keep training and um things just escalated so quickly so ended up driving back to uh back to home in sydney before the borders shut and yeah i think the next big 2020 curveball came i think um that easter long weekend i was out on a bike ride in a training session and got uh hit by a car so yeah so i um i was fortunate enough to only break my collarbone but i broke it in three places so i did a good job of it and um yeah found myself uh on easter sunday curled up curled up in bed on a lot of drugs with um <laughs> with some chocolate but yeah that was about a two month setback there and i think it was close to six weeks um of yeah really modified close to no um proper training i think you know big milestones included being able to lift my um lift my arm above my head at about the four week mark so that was a massive hurdle for for any year but for for 2020 and i think it's just sliding windows too because i remember thinking at the time had this had happened in the uh with the olympics coming up in july it would have been game over but in in saying that if the olympics went ahead i would have still been in melbourne so you can't play that game but um yeah, and then got back to got back to training up here um, at home. Did an altitude block um, with an altitude tent at home, and um, yeah, and then come uh, September, or I think it was August, August September, we headed up to um, headed up to the Gold Coast for a triathlon Australia uh, Olympic camp up there, and some some warm weather training. So yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a roller coaster year, but there's been some downs, but there's, yeah, there's definitely been some ups too. I'm pretty stoked to get some quality time um, at home with the family. It's pretty rare for us. We generally spend a lot of the year traveling. So that's definitely been, been a silver lining. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, obviously everyone's had sort of different reactions to, to Tokyo being postponed. You know, in a previous episode, we spoke to Evan Dunphy, who's a, a race walker from Canada, and, you know, for him it wasn't too much of a problem. But obviously for other people it's been, you know, it's built the end of their careers in some cases. But um, how's that kind of been for you? Yeah, as you said, it's different for everyone. For us um, in triathlon, no one's actually been selected at the minute. So I guess that kind of throws another spanner in the works too because – we equally don't know how we're going to be selected, um, what racing opportunities we have to to show, um, you know, that we deserve to be selected. Um, and, and equally, we only have two positions for the men and the women going to the Olympics um, of a possible three that we could earn. So there's a lot of question marks around it. And I think that's probably the hardest part for me is just the uncertainty. I, I'm, I tend to be a very, like, organised and, routine and um someone that loves structure so for for such a massive goal um for me that's been there for years to now just have so many question marks around that i think's been quite tough but i think the the right decision was made to postpone the games a year and um yeah i mean no one knows what position will be in come july 2021 but i know that from all accounts, they're doing everything possible to, to make the games go ahead. But, uh, yeah, we definitely know it'll look look a bit different to previous years. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, and so in terms of your, like your goals with training and everything, I guess it's still training with the assumption that the Olympics will be on next year and everything's sort of gearing up towards that. I mean, obviously, as you said, you know, selection events, you don't know how that's going to work. So it's, it makes it a little bit hard to, I guess, plan things out. Yeah, it's a really tricky one. Even just the fact of for travel for us, um, the likelihood is all the the World Series racing um, next year within that selection window. So um, looking until I think it's middle of May um, for racing to be selected, that that's all overseas. So uh, at the minute, that's a massive question mark in terms of for us Aussies, whether we can travel one, um, two, what that looks like quarantine wise, you can't exactly go over for a world series race expecting to, you know, earn selection off that. If you're having to spend two weeks in a hotel quarantining before you, um, before you even get to the start line. And then, you know, you may, you, you go out and smash it, but then, you know, if you, if you need to return home before going to Tokyo, well, what does that look like with a two week quarantine coming back? You know, that's kind of, Massive hurdles to look at. So yeah, it's been it's been a tough with all that uncertainty. But I think training wise for me, Danielle, my coach, she's been terrific. Uh, throughout this whole period, what's really kept me motivated and um, working hard is just taking that focus on um, on just training and and breaking it down into process based goals across swim, bike, and run. So rather than getting up each day and feeling like I'm training towards you know the Olympics. Um, I'm getting up and training each day to better myself across swim, bike, run. And, and ultimately, if I do a good job of that, then that should get me on the team. Yeah, exactly right. Cool. And, and what does a typical training week look like for you at the moment? So at the moment, it's quite nice. I've just come off a two-week break. So I'm in my third week back training. Um, so it's it's quite lighter to what it would normally look like in the middle of the middle of a season uh, or a year, but um, it's still pretty significant. I think I did close to twenty five hours of training last week. So it's it's uh, when I say light, it's not it's not too um, it's not too easy. But uh, 
we will swim six times a week um, and those sessions are generally between um, four to five K each. We'll ride four times a week, but um, pretty long rides. So generally covering 350 to 400 K a week and then running will run six days a week. Um, generally uh, like 90%, 80, 90%, well, hundred percent of the running at the minute's all easy um, as we come back after the break. But um, yeah, even in the middle of the season, we do um, yeah quite a lot of mileage, but it's, it's a lot of easy K's and, and building up that engine. And, um, and then, yeah, I'm in the gym three times a week and a bit of Pilates, which I love to, yeah, to work on that flexibility and balance stuff. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So obviously a lot of, uh, sort of peaks and troughs in training, probably a bit more troughs at the moment, just in terms of, you know, the lighter intensity. Um, but obviously with that kind of training volume, you know, getting your, your fueling around those sessions is going to be really important to get that right. Yeah, massively. I think the biggest one for me, um, as I've matured as an athlete is just realizing to be consistent training wise and, and really be able to hit those large, you know, mileage numbers. You can't have an off day. Like your nutrition needs to be on point because it's not going to cut it to be, you know, fueled adequately one day and, um, and not so good the next, because you won't be able to back up week after week or, or even for one week alone, um, training when it gets up to, you know, those, 30 to 35 hours a week of training. So that's been a big one for me to realize and um, and manage with my team around me. Yeah, so I guess with that, when did you sort of start thinking, I guess, a bit more seriously about your nutrition? When did that kind of start for you for, at a young age or I mean, you're young anyway, but? <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, no. So for me, I got, uh, I'm 25 and I got into triathlon, um, probably like an, at an elite level, I'd say in 2014. So been going at it six years now. So kind of, yeah, basically when I, le- you know, left high school at about 18, I, I really got stuck into triathlon moving across from surf lifesaving. And, uh, I was competitive in surf lifesaving, but it was nothing like try where you nutrition's almost like a fifth discipline or a fourth discipline, say, um, mm. that if you don't get that right, then it's, it's kind of game over, um, long-term anyway, if to be at that elite level and racing on the world series, like we do. So I think, um, initially in that crossover, I didn't value nutrition or, or, or didn't put the I guess I just didn't have the knowledge base and it's been over the years as I've stepped up and um, moved towards that top end level in, you know, in world triathlon, I've needed to address nutrition through things like injury. Um, I've had, you know, injuries in the past where I think nutrition's definitely been a a key factor in those ones or, or, you know, um, um, inadequate fueling uh, long-term and then other issues along the way. I remember one time, um, I was coming to the end of my nursing degree, which I was um, managing alongside triathlon. And um, we had like an eight week prac block. So I was training, you know, 25 to 30 hours a week on top of full-time um, work in the hospital. So it, I, it was things like that, you know, I'd be up at four o'clock and, and getting in a swim and a run before, you know, starting a 7am shift and, and working through till three, the Arvo and, and doing a ride and whatever else was involved that afternoon. So just kind of I 100% wasn't fueling adequately and, and wasn't getting the rest I needed and, and as a result had things like low iron um, 
and yeah, and energy availability pieces certainly came into play. So I feel like that those experiences over the years and definitely probably over the last two years um, have certainly made me appreciate nutrition. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of probably age groupers out there that can kind of relate to that piece in terms of trying to juggle training and work, maybe not quite the same training volume, but, you know, similar circumstances that you're up at the crack of dawn, train, go to work, train, come home, eat, go to bed and start again. I have so much respect for age groupers. I mean, yeah, maybe not, not the same training hours, but I mean, they're they're doing a 40 hour, 40 plus hour work week. Um, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing I think I took away when I finished my degree. Um, just not having that union and especially for nursing, not having like the clinical hours that we had to get done um, and just being able to focus on the training. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is like the dream. I don't know why people complain about just training. It's it's easy now. So yeah. I try and remind myself that when, I, when I've when i got like a bigger training day and I, you know, start to, um, yeah, start to not complain but start to roll my eyes when you see, you know, a four hour ride and an hour's run and a 5k swim. I'm like, oh, I used to try and juggle that on top of, on top of uni Ooh. and, and, and uh, placement. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's massive for, you know, the sport of triathlon in general, just being so multidisciplinary and, and involving, you know, a lot of training sessions and a lot of hours. Mm. Yeah. And so how do you think about fueling now for, for your training? Like if you, if you think, you know, during the week you've got your different sessions, what, how do you kind of think about fueling for your different sessions? I think the biggest one for me, the change that I've made is rather than thinking about um, fueling on that day, I'm thinking about it the day before. So mm-hmm. a lot of pre-planning, I I don't think I could get through the training I do by just waking up in the morning and going, all right, like, you know, we'll head to the pool and, and, and smash out a 5K swim and, all right, we're riding in, you know, 60 minutes. What should I go and, you know, eat? I, you wouldn't get through it. So I think there's a lot of forward planning um, the day and even not just planning for what I'm going to eat tomorrow around training, but eating the day before to fuel for the next day's training, I think has, has been massive. And I think that's where I've let myself down in the past um, by underfueling, especially around um, the morning and around the bulk of my sessions. I've underfueled, and so then it's come to the evening time, and I've been starving and almost eaten two dinners worth to to refuel my body from a day's training, um, which isn't adequate enough to to be backing up for those sessions and and fueled for those key sessions during the day. So that's been a big one for me. And I kind of, yeah, almost take it as like a reset every night to think about um, like before dinner, think about, okay, what have I got on for tomorrow? What does, what should my meal tonight look like? You know, if it's tomorrow, like tonight, for example, um, we have an easy Friday every week and that's like a staple for us. It's our recovery day. So, you know, my Thursday night dinner, it doesn't need to be a massive meal it can be you know a bit lighter on the carbohydrate side knowing that I've got you know less than two hours of training tomorrow but then likewise tomorrow being the recovery day that means that Friday night just because I haven't done much training on the Friday doesn't mean that I can cut down on the dinner Um, you know I need to be thinking about the Saturday that I've got ahead which is kind of the opposite Saturday is a massive day for us so yeah I guess planning for Saturday nutritionally already starts on the Friday afternoon. So I think that's been a massive one for me. And um, yeah, just changing my mindset. So I'm kind of 
being, I guess, proactive rather than reactive to nutrition. Um, do you do any, do you intentionally do any training, like uh, training low sort of sessions, you know, like so where you enter into a session where you might have, you know, let's say fasted or not given yourself much carbs to get some training adaptations via that way or? I think uh, the big one for me, like that I notice that, well, the only time I guess that I could say I've done that would be, um, I guess, start a regular week for us. We kind of start, you know, four days of the week with an hour's easy run. Um, And then we, so that's like, say I'd get up, you know, 7.30 and I'd I'd get out the door at eight o'clock for my, you know, easy hours run. So 12, 13 K and then, I'd um, come back and we'd have a swim session, which might, you know, more than likely be a quality swim session or even a quality ride at about like 10, 10.30. Mm. So for me, like regularly in the training yeah. weeks, I would get up and just have like a black coffee before the um, easy hour yeah. run. Um, and then as soon as I get back from the run, have a big breakfast um, and really fuel up post the run and before the next session. Um, But yeah, likewise, um, I kind of play that by feel too. You know, if I wake up and I'm hungry, then I'll eat before the run. Um, And if certainly if that run wasn't aerobic, then I'd be fueling prior to prior to it. And, um, and likewise too, like I would have fueled the night before with dinner. So it's not like you you kind of completely running on, on at a low there either. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how do you find, uh, like your peers, I guess, other athletes fueling, like um, do they have much experience with, with what they're doing? Do you see any downfalls or, you know, stuff-ups for them? Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's especially, um, you know, because as I was studying, I lived at home, so I was pretty, yeah, very lucky. And, um, lucky, yeah. Yeah, my mum's, you know, amazing and always really considered um, – the energy needs I've got in terms of um, really cooking hearty meals every night and having, you know, the right kind of foods in the fridge as a, as an active kid, even growing up, you know, you're picking the right snacks and you get picked up and you've got, you know, two training sessions after school, but it's not like there's always, you know, food in the car ready to go. So coming from that and then um, making the move, you know, the last, I guess, you know, 18 months or to, to two years to um, training in different squads where I'm living out of home and around other athletes. It's been really interesting okay. to see what other people do. And a hundred percent, some people are amazing and I learn from them and go, okay, wow. Like I thought I was front end loading my day and, and, you know, feeling well in the morning, but like how they're putting away that much food. I'm, I'm super impressed, <laughs> you know, and I've got, I need to learn here. Um, yep. Any, but equally, you see other athletes, um, and I, I've definitely seen a lot of negative behaviour in the past too, where um, it's kind of a red flag and it, it's a bit confronting to see too, um, which is, a, you know, a, it's a reality of the sport and I think um, it's not something to shy away from, but I think as a fellow peer and another athlete, it's important that, like, I be a positive, I guess, role model to them and and just keep doing what I'm doing and, and support healthy habits, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you, you know, you've noticed the, the benefits of, of, um, I guess, staying on top of your nutrition. Have you noticed benefits, I guess, from talk to us in terms of, I guess, your training and then, and then racing 
Yeah, massively. I think like just reflecting even on the training and um, nutritionally wise, like a big shift I made probably 12 months ago was, yeah, really, I, as I spoke about kind of on that front end loading and, and really making sure I'm fueled leading into sessions and not, um, not going in under fuels or having to play catch up. So I think like one of the biggest ones I noticed about that, I think when, um, when I sat down with a dietitian and really spoke about it, I was kind of paranoid that I'm like, well, I'm going to just start putting on weight. Like you're telling me that I need to eat all this food in the morning and I don't eat that much normally. Like, you know, surely I'm going to throw my, throw the balance and be putting on weight. And I just kind of dove into it and just really gave it, you know, a crack. And, um, yeah, I think that was a massive one for me to learn too. Not only I, um, saw positive body comp shifts, um, you know, heading in the right direction. I actually like leaned down, um, and lost, you know, a little bit of weight gearing up towards, you know, critical races by eating a lot more um, at the right time. So that was a massive one for me. And more importantly, my um, metabolism grew. So I all of a sudden, you know, went from eating, you know, one piece of bread with two eggs and like a, you know, an omelet on top to having, you know, two crumpets and then two pieces of, of bread with eggs and feta and avocado and smoked salmon and like if you had have told me that I'd be eating that for breakfast you know two years ago I would have looked at you like you're crazy that's breakfast and lunch and um and now that's been a really kind of positive shift and and seeing the changes come not only with my um metabolism in that like every day now I wake up and that's what I'm hungry for um but equally seeing um my changes in the body comp positive shifts and also in the training you know when I was doing that and fueling like that, I could only literally run um, a maximum of 50 kilometers a week because if I ran any more, I would just break down and get injured. And um, literally since moving to Danielle, I think from January through to where we are now, I've been running, you know, between 80 and 90 kilometers every week consistently. So I think that kind of is the proof, the proof's in the pudding, <laughs> excuse the pun. What gave you the confidence with that too? Like, cause that's, that's a big thing. Like I see it in, I'm, I'm a runner, so I see it in running all the time, like girls just constantly under fueling, overtraining. Um, and it's just, it's so hard to give them that encouragement, like, you know, eat more, you'll, you know, that'll get you in the right direction. So what, what influenced that for you? Was it, was it a, a multiple, you know, factors or what do you think kind of nudged you over? I think the big one for me is that I think, um, I guess initially I actually didn't like, it seems sounds silly now. And now that I'm well and truly educated, it sounds silly saying it, but I actually didn't realize I was so severely under fueling. Um, and then that kind of just became like a normal, um, and then go figure, um, you're trying to lean down and you're like, I'm not eating, like I'm barely eating anything and I'm not losing any weight. If anything, I'm putting it on. I'm like, how is this, like, how's this fair? Um, and then, you know, the, um, cherry on top, you then get injured with, um, bone, like a bony issue. And so I think that was kind of a breaking point there. It was like a, almost like an intervention. And at the time the injury happened, um, I was on a training camp with, um, other athletes and they were like amazing and really positive to be around. And they were, you know, athletes that I took from and was like, Oh my God, like if they're like at the top of this sport and they're eating, you know, as much as they are breakfast, lunch, and dinner and, and, and comparison to what I am, like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing this right. Like, and I'd already been hearing, you know, that that was what I was required to eat. So to then, 
be living with them, watching what yeah, they're eating and me being the one that can't go out for run sessions mm. because I'm injured. I think that was just mm. like a slap to the face. So I got, um, got sent home at that time and, um, did my recovery and literally just dove straight in. So, and that was a really tricky one. Um, especially at that time too, because then you factor in, you know, as an athlete, I'm all of a sudden not running as well. So you kind of taking away some of that training and, and still being told to eat more. So yeah. mentally it was really tough, but I just, kind of had nothing to lose at that point. I was sitting there injured. It's not like I was performing amazingly and looking for those little gains. I, I had a lot to gain at that point. So, um, yeah, kind of turned it around and, and it literally was, I think over a matter of like two to three months, it, it blew my mind. I was dropping, dropping weight, but not like stupidly. It was like positive, like, yeah. you know, incremental positive yeah. shifts. Um, but the big one came yeah, yeah in that yeah. lean, uh, lean muscle mass, um and my rmr um you know really significantly okay. improved my ability to back up and consistently train improved i wasn't injured for the rest of the year um it was just it kind of blew my mind so and i just kept saying to friends and um they were like oh my god like look how much you're eating i'm like yeah <laughs> like who would have thought i'm like you know can literally like put the food away and I'm not blowing out, which is what my biggest fear was. So that's a massive one that I've taken away and really kind of learnt. I'm really glad you said that, Anne, because um, we spoke with um, Dr. Sam Impey in the, the previous episode about, um, you know, matching up your nutrition with your training um, and that approach of sometimes deliberately underfueling to try and drive the adaptation. And, and, you know, one of the things that Steph brought up in that episode was the fact that, you know, if you do that too much too often or you undercut by too far, you run into problems. And that's exactly what you've just described now. Yeah, literally. And I, I just think, especially like, at an elite level. Um, I don't know how you can kind of expect your body to perform at a top level if you're consistently undercutting yourself and, and underfueling yourself. I mean, it's, it's really, I think for me, it was just a mental thing. Um, and the science makes sense. Like I'm, you know, come from a nursing background, it should have made sense all along, but I think, um, it's just, yeah, mental battle sometimes uh, around it and wanting to, look a certain way and, um, you know, lean down to be at your best. And I think it was just a real barrier. And once I kind of broke that down and actually just looked at the facts and, and it was able to execute on it, it was like, well, duh, like, of course that's it. That's it. So yeah, I'm really glad that I was still young enough in my, in my career, um, to be able to make those changes and now build those positive habits and, and hopefully, um, you know, share them with the up and coming triathletes, especially like the females up coming up I know you know it's that was a big one for me so if I can kind of share some light on those up-and-coming athletes and, and save them the um, hardships then that would be a blessing too yeah have you changed anything in terms of your what about race day like how do you think nutrition is you know has that impacted on race day performance for you or <clears throat> I think I've always been, um, I probably ate the same on race morning as I'd have a normal breakfast, but, um, in terms of like nerves affecting whether I could or couldn't eat it. Um, but I think now it's almost, it's just made the process a whole lot easier. So even though I'm, um, you know, that you get those typical nerves prior to a race, it's, I guess I just don't have that added factor of, um, you know, not being able to stomach the food because it is now just such a habit and I'm so used to eating 
that, you know, every morning and, and throughout the day too, you know, sometimes we race at 6 p.m. at night. So you can't get by by not eating if um, that if through nerves or whatever it might be on race day, you, um, it's kind of you got to be able to stomach the food. So I think mm. just by now having that so ingrained and I literally wake up and hung, I'm, you know, got two crumpets in the toaster before I kind of half have my eyes open. So mm. it um, that's made it easier on race day. Just I think naturally my body's just in that habit. So you can stomach that food and, and get it down a lot easier. But um, yeah, I've worked hard with that's Alan good. just on, I guess, maybe on bigger races where I am that little bit more nervous. Um, Just like a few little strategies say, you know, if I'm struggling to get food down, well then, um, you know, I kind of have a power raid literally in my hand that doesn't leave my sight. Um, So you're getting the carbs in another way kind of thing. And Steph, you'll be happy because you're you're big on practicing race day nutrition before you get to race day. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's also good to hear just in terms of like, how you initially may not have been able to tolerate it very well, but then by training what by changing what you're doing in in that training and just you know increasing like the volume of food that you're having, and yeah, and doing it pre pre sessions that that's that's doing that gut training and that helps with what we say is gastric accommodation. So it, it's improving your gut tolerance and and then for you yeah you're benefiting benefiting in, in the race. And I think that's a big one too. Like I would never um, get up on race morning and have a different breakfast or a different morning tea to what I would normally have on on a training day and around like, you know, those critical sessions. Um, You know, you're not going to change it up because your body's used to it and you know it sits well in your tummy. Um, So I just think, yeah, I think also on race day kind of sticking to what you know and and it just takes – keeps everything as comfortable and as, you know, habitual as possible, kind of just alleviating any extra nerves, you know, by adding in a different factor that you haven't tried before. Yeah, yep. Um, and just, I guess, for for the listeners and stuff, with some of your long sessions, like even just an example, let's say one of your long bike rides, what, what would be the kind of a long bike ride example? How, how many hours could you... Anywhere like four to five, five and a half hours sometimes. Yeah. So uh, a session like that, how would you, what's, how would you feel for that? Um, Yeah. So I guess like, um, yeah, I think, you know, throughout COVID that was like a kind of staple on a Wednesday Um, for me, the day kind of looked like we, I'd ride out at about six um, for 120, 125 K bike ride. Um, So and then still having like an hour's run swim and gym to finish the day off. So um, not only was it, yeah, critical to feel during that ride, but yeah, there's no way if I was bonky on that ride, well, then that's kind of the training date, the rest of the day done too. So it becomes super critical to really nail the nutrition on that. So I think on that Wednesday I'd get up and uh, breakfast would be three of those big square crumpets with um, – guilty pleasure I'd be like Nutella or Biscoff even um I love that stuff and then with a banana chopped up and um on top so yeah normally I guess I'd have two but you know when I know I'm about to be on the bike for you know five hours I start with three and then kind of in my bike jersey pocket I would be full of snacks so I'd put another banana in there I would have um like a Carmen's muesli bar and then also I generally pack, they're my favourite, they're um, Uncle Toby's, the oats ones, but they're like milk, like yeah. vanilla. Um, like it's like 
I don't know, like a milky tops, That's I think. What? Yeah. They're delicious. Yeah. So I like, there's like a vanilla flavor, chocolate and caramel, but I'm vanilla fan. So I generally put two of them in as well. And then, um, in my bottles, I got like big one liter bottles. So one of them was water and one of them was, um, sports drink. Yep. So, yep. and yep, then cool. literally you'd finish that ride and, um, kind of get down, finish that, have that food along the ride and, um, finish, generally finish the ride with a coffee stop and, um, and, and brunch basically. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And do you start fueling early or do you, what's your strategy there? Like, um, I'd be eating like at least, oh, probably after 90 minutes, I think I'd kickstart, um, the first piece of nutrition in and then pretty regularly after that. Um, generally on that ride, we, we weren't stopping to eat. So it was, um, we were kind of eating as eating as you ride. So that kind of, kind of became even more important just to be really, um, yeah, structured and on top of your nutrition, because, you know, if you were kind of just waiting for the bunch or, or, you know, a time to stop and pull over and eat, then you would have been under fueling. So that was just one thing I just made sure I did too. Like I, you know, didn't wait for someone to pull out their, you know, bit of food before, before I um, made sure I was eating. And yeah, touch wood. I've never like I've done and managed to do a good job because um, there was some of those rides. I think one ride we did it was like 155k and over 2,000 meters of 2,000 meters of elevation gain, and um, and then backed up by the, you know like an hour's run of 5k swim and gym and um, oh, yeah, a massive day. But like yeah. I never never bonked and and um, awesome. yeah, was getting like training PBs in and around that. Like, and that was, you know, that was weekly. We were doing those Wednesdays with all that training. So I think that would have been a massive telltale if I wasn't, if I was under fueling on that day and, and on that ride, I think I would have fallen apart completely. So, yeah. Awesome. Do you want to add anything? Yeah. I was going to say, have you had any of those sort of epic fails where, like in the past where that has happened? Um, definitely back when I was uh, under fueling in the past when – so I think that's probably a good one to just draw a comparison on, I guess, like almost directly um, back when I was like purposely, I guess, trying to cut back what I was eating. Um, yeah, again, it's like embarrassing to say, but I would probably go on like a four-hour ride um, and knowing I was going on a four-hour ride and, and probably having like a coffee before I left and probably put in one banana in my jersey pocket and I think, that like that would be it <laughs> which is really yeah. sad but um I think it to to begin with it was like a massive struggle in the last especially in that last hour you'd just be like fading massively obviously because your body's <laughs> needing needing a massive influx of some energy but um I think it kind of became like I guess I kind of became used to it almost um, slowly, but I think the massive factor I noticed was I would be shattered um, after that ride. So for the rest of the day, like it would that would be all I would do. It would be a Sunday and a long ride and that's that. And I'd be, you know, having a nap and, and kind of almost jittery when I got off the bike um, but could finish the session fine. But now like to think of having to try and get the rest of a training day done on top of that um, off based off that <laughs> I, you can't hardly call it nutritional, but um, off base of that poor fueling, uh, yeah, that, it just blows my mind. It, can't you can't do it? So, yeah, 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 no, that makes sense. Um, 
I think you probably already sort of covered this, but is there anything else that um, that you you've learned about nutrition now that you wish you'd sort of learned earlier on in your career? Um, yeah, I think the massive ones that we've covered is kind of just definitely that um, kind of being really proactive, not reactive when it comes to when it comes to fueling, and not being, I think. Um, not being scared, like that's, it sounds silly, but, um, you know, I guess as like a young female, um, coming from surf lifesaving where I was, you know, a fit, you know, um, normal body shape for that sport and kind of then shifting across to triathlon and, and doing well in it. So therefore, you know, moving into the elite ranks and, and all of a sudden finding that I didn't have that body shape to be that, you know, was typical in elite level. Um, so I think there was just a bit of like mental and body image issues within my own self, which then I took out on my, my fueling and my food intake. So I think that's a huge one that I wish, um, I don't know, I wish someone like pulled me aside and patted me on the back and was like, you, you, you do this well and you keep eating well, you'll just naturally, you know, the body, can, the body, you know, composition and the body shape will naturally shift as the training drives that. So there's no need to, to be starving yourself and, and um, yeah, under fueling so that, you know, you're getting injuries. So I think that was, that would have been a massive, yeah, massive lesson I could have learned early on, but I'm glad I was able to, yeah, to learn it to, and um, go through that and now just have so much confidence in, in what I needed to do to get the training done and to perform too at a top level and consi- consistently. So, yeah. Cool. Um, and is there any particular aspect of nutrition that sort of continues to challenge you now, like something that um, doesn't come, like something you really have to work at uh, or be consciously sort of have it in the back of your mind all the time rather than something that's just kind of on autopilot? Um, to be honest, it's almost like it's almost like it's um, the opposite now um, in that it's like when I'm having easy days it's kind of being conscious of not eating the same amount as what (laughs) I would on a regular training day um and that's not like everything in moderation I'm all I preach that I'm all about it but um I think especially when we're in like those like really um race blocks and with big competitions you know coming up it's it's very easy kind of you know, to have an easy day and go for brunch with one friend and lunch with another friend and then go out for dinner and a few drinks. So, and that's all well and good, but I think it's just like, um, I just need it. Yeah. I'm just constantly getting better at, um, making smarter choices. So, you know, maybe just oh, have, that's right. you can come back to Melbourne and, and you won't be doing that down here. I know exactly. <laughs> just maybe have like, you know, only have chips at lunch and don't need chips with your burger at dinner or some, you know, so it's just like literally just little things. But I think that's something I can continue to get better at. And, um, and especially say like with something like Christmas coming up where it gets social and, and you, you know, you catch up with people and it generally involves like food and, um, alcohol. It's, um, just making, yeah, smarter choices, you know? So I think, that's been that's something that I'm yeah slowly getting getting better at as a mature I'd say (laughs) yeah yeah fair enough Uh, and I guess more broadly like you you talked a little bit about it with Steph before but thinking about uh, other triathletes you see uh, or other athletes sort of more broadly is there a particular theme that you think that that athletes can do better at like is there an aspect of nutrition that you think is 
is the the most common one that that you see people don't get right yeah i would say like for triathlon specifically i would think it would just be more um under fueling and i think whether that's conscious or unconscious like i think certainly for some athletes it's probably conscious but i think for a, a lot of athletes i think we we generally do like underestimate just how much um energy we expend across um you know three disciplines um of training and not just like one big training day a week but back to back i think it's huge so i think a lot of people just are none the wiser to how much energy needs to come in to balance that expenditure um and then equally i think there's probably a piece i for my opinion i think at the elite level um everyone's got it pretty down pat because i don't think you would be at that elite level um, if you weren't managing your nutritional, your nutrition well, um, on a regular basis. So I think for me, like one thing I would, I would say that I, it sticks out to me is probably that like under 23, um, which is true to form for, for when I, you know, experienced as well, kind of in that, um, as you come out of juniors and, you know, your body naturally is changing and, you know, you make decisions to, to maybe focus on triathlon and try and make it as a pro or you're balancing uni and, you've got a lot of things on your plate. Um, I think that would be definitely an area or an age like group that I think would struggle um, mostly with that underfueling. I would, I would definitely say. Yep. Cool. And it's probably also the age where the training volume tends to step up as you're getting towards that elite level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, coming from juniors and all of a sudden, um, yeah, if you, if you're not consciously increasing the fuel as the training increases and building, as I said, building that metabolism and those habits so that you, you know, that's comfortable and that's, you know, a regular, um, intake, then yeah, that you might come into problems. So, mm, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're almost done, Em, but any other final sort of tips or advice around nutrition that you would have for all the, uh, the runners, triathletes, cyclists out there that we sort of haven't talked about already? No, I think I've covered like a lot of what I think I've learned along the way and what I would definitely, um, if I could, you know, talk to my former self, I, I would say. And, and um, but I think, yeah, one big one is I think, you know, don't be scared of food. I think everything in moderation. Um, gosh, we work so hard, um, you know, physically it, at training. You know, if you're scared of if you're scared of a chocolate bar and a, I don't know, and an ice cream and some chips, then that's just crazy. So I think, um, yeah, don't be scared of food and, and a, a balanced diet, fuel, fuel for the training. Um, and, and don't so much focus just on, just on the food. Think about more, more, um, how you're going to fuel yourself to best perform in that, in that training requirements. Mm, very well said. All right, I'm going to hand it over to Steph now and she's going to kick off our bonus round to finish up with. Yeah, I get get the fun bit. Um get to know a little bit a little bit about you. Um so um if you could do anything besides doing what you're doing now in terms of triathlon, what what would you decide to do? Uh I this is a bit cliché, but I would love to um be doing like um paramedics but like special special ops so like you know scaling cliffs oh, or yeah, yeah. Um, jumping out of helicopters, jumping out of helicopters. yeah that kind of stuff i would like we, we work with a guy in our lab who does that he's doing his phd he's actually measuring the energy expenditure and the physical requirements for people who do that oh, well, 
give me his number for later. But um, yeah, that's definitely that's I um yeah I did nursing and specialized in emergency care, so I'm really passionate about that and excited for where that might take me after triathlon. But I think yeah, if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't doing triathlon in my mid twenties, I think that's some you know that adrenaline um base side I'd, I'd be in that. Yeah, that's cool. Um. One of the things on your bucket list that you you haven't yet done and you you're dying to do. Yeah, I I've watched a few friends do it and I'm very much got FOMO, but um I really want to get to um Everest Base Camp. So doesn't really um <laughs> coincide well with the training involvements that we've got for try. But um yeah, it's on the bucket list and hopefully I'll be able to tick that off one day as yeah, as another kind of awesome you know um physical milestone and, and mental kind of challenge as well um and what about a sport what's you know a sport that you've watched and thought you know wow that would be that would be pretty neat and cool to to do and be part of i yeah i was thinking about this the other day i um love watching jess fox so she does like the whitewater kayaking um and I always think that's awesome and coming from like surf club where we're on the ski not the same kind of paddling um we generally like to go in a straight line otherwise you're gonna (laughs) gonna definitely come across her on the surf but um yeah kind of just I love the water and and just looks like so much fun so I think that would be yeah that'd be a sport I'd definitely love to try yeah yeah um a piece of advice that you that you live by or a motto that you have when you're racing, yeah. I literally yeah. have it, it's literally on my wall above me. Um, but my kind of like oh, motto cool. I live by is um, dare to dream. So I coached when I was kind of um, leaving high school, I made my first national team um, and really didn't expect to make it. And um, I turned up and he'd written it, it was, this was for um, surf lifesaving, we went to the world champs and he'd written it on my board, dare to dream. So when I like, put it out of the case when we arrived overseas and saw that I was like kind of taken back and um yeah it came as like an underdog that made the first team and then went on to win a um a world title so that was kind of um it's been something that always stuck with me is just like a really um I guess inspiring and kind of just like I guess loving what you do and and um not being afraid to fail just daring to to um yeah do great things and and um yeah, have fun in, in whatever pursuit that might be. And one thing when you're travelling perhaps around the world to events that you you just have to have with you? Okay, um, one, well, one embarrassing, no, not embarrassing, um, <laughs> treat. I I constantly travel with this um, Biscoff, so the spread. One, I think you guys will appreciate because don't change anything on race day. So my breakfast yeah. involves crumpets with Biscoff. So um, that's a staple. And it's hard to get. You don't want to turn up to a race and then, ha- like, I don't know, have strawberry jam and then have that repeat on you when you're doing your warm-up. Yeah. So you just got to stick with what you know. So I travel with a jar of that. Yeah, yeah. And then um, on more of a serious note, I always travel with a um, two kind of like um, photos, like the old school um, printouts. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's like a family photo yep. and then a photo of um, me yes. and my horse. So, yeah. Oh, awesome. What's your horse's name? Uh, Cherokee. And how, how long have you had Cherokee? Uh, I've had her for nearly 20 years. So she is 30. Wow. Yeah, she's 31. Very cool. Cool. All right, well, 
that's that's all we we wanted to sort of chat to you tonight about M. I think that's been a, a great overview of sort of how you've approached your nutrition, uh, how you sort of uh, manage your fueling around training and, and matching that up, and, and you know really fits nicely with our, our previous episode where we talked to Sam and um, you know his his research team when he was doing his PhD came up with that term fuel for the work required, and you used a term that was almost exactly the same just before. Um, so I think that's a that's a really nice uh, connection between those two episodes, which is fantastic. So so one. Once again, thanks so much for your time, and um, yeah, obviously, good luck for your for your training, and hopefully, we'll see you down here in Melbourne pretty soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. Okay, so that was um, yeah, great to have Emma Jeffcott join us and um, just give us a really nice practical example of of how we can um, you know kind of periodize our nutrition and um, and it was great like Alan you had said she she literally had said what we were talking about in terms with Sam fuel for the work required Mm. um perfect examples there of 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 how she does that and and you know how she's now thinking about her training sessions and um and fueling exactly right and it's uh, I guess when when you work and you probably see it as well um like in private practice and you work with uh runners cyclists, triathletes, you know, any kind of endurance athlete of any level, uh, it's one of the most common things you see is, you know, people uh, do have a big training session in the morning and then afterwards they go, oh, I did a big session so I need to eat lots of carbs. It's like, well, you've, you've already done the road trip. There's no point packing after, you, after you're there. Um, you know, that, that front loading is really important because you want to put the fuel in before you use it. Yes. Um, so it's there when you need it rather than eating all this stuff afterwards when, you know, you've already already done the deed so to speak and and just like so many of us um just eat the same day in day out like we there are so many of us that do not change what we're doing eating wise yet athletes have these periodized training programs um and now what we're just trying to promote and encourage in in these podcasts is um you know now how about we start to think about periodizing your nutrition to, to go along with, with your training. And, um, yeah, I think Emma gave some fantastic examples of how she's um, been able to do that and, and working with a fantastic dietitian, obviously, um, and, um, and, and reaping, you know, the benefits of that in terms of, um, of her training, of in, in racing, and also um, I think, you know, as we've seen just mentally in terms of mental health, you know, how um, that's had a positive impact there as well for for M. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's been fantastic working with her. Um, you know, over the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, um, you know, someone who it's sort of clicked with uh, in terms of the the concept. I think you know the concept's not difficult and it's interesting when you describe it to people because all of a sudden it's like this light bulb moment goes off and they're like oh yeah why didn't I think of that before like it makes so much sense when you think about it but it's just I I guess it's just something that doesn't get talked about that much so once people get the concept I think you know they kind of run with it and it it works really well but you know M's been fantastic with that and she's a you know delight to work with so it's yeah it's been really good yeah 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 and I um and the other bonus we got um from this session as well is just um I guess covering a bit in terms of um, energy availability, which we'll we'll talk about in another podcast. But um, you know how common it can be for for um, athletes of all levels uh, to to underfuel, and and 
um, not necessarily realise it. So some obviously will, there'll be some people that will do that intentionally um, for whatever reasons. And then and there's others that just have such a big training load and, and they don't know that they're, they're doing it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and seeing, uh, for, for M seeing that, okay, well, actually when you give your body what it needs, um, it, it really benefits from, from that. So yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Uh, so I guess if anyone has any questions, whether it be questions of today's podcast, if you've got questions about something you'd like us to, to cover off, uh, just, um, We've got social media, so we've got Instagram, we've got Twitter, and we've got uh, Facebook. So head over to, to there at the Long Munch uh, and let us know what you think of the podcast and um, and fire away uh, some questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So we've got some uh, more exciting questions to answer coming up. Uh, we're still uh, sorting out which which order they're going to be in, uh, depending <laughs> on who, who can speak to us when. But, um, yeah, no. Plenty to come, obviously, and, yeah, as, as Steph said, you know, if you've got a question that you want answered, um, send it through uh, and, and we'll we'll get on top of it for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's us done for today, Steph. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks again to, to Emma Jeffcoat for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all very soon. See ya.